The Evolve Pod is brought to you by TriSwimCoaching.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode 25 of the Evolve Pod. Um, as always, with this, this podcast is designed to help inspire people, help motivate people, and get people talking about their well-being and their health and their fitness. So if you feel inspired by the Evolve Pod, please don't hesitate to like it, to share it amongst your friends and family, and if you really want to, leave a review on iTunes. My guest today is an incredible guy. He's done lots of endurance events, lots of endurance running. And I was kind of thinking of a way of introducing him onto the, onto the pod. And I came across this quote, which is one of the first paragraphs I saw on the website, which I'll read to you now. The opening paragraph goes as follows. Broken bones, muggings at gunpoint, being locked up, attacked, bitten by dogs, shot at, tears, fears, failures, and suffering, dot, dot, dot. So immediately I was hooked in. I thought that's the best way to introduce him. Nick, Nick Butter, welcome to the Evolve Pod. Thank you so much for coming on. How are you getting on, buddy? Thank you, man. Um, no, I'm I'm absolutely honoured to be on. I'm yeah, I'm looking forward to getting stuck in and, and chatting to bits. Now I'm really grateful. I'm I'm uh, I'm good. I'm I think I'm in. I suppose I'm in recovery mode. I don't really feel like that because it's you know instantly you have things on again. But not so long ago we finished our recent mission and I'm I'm trying to to heal my body and and rest a bit. But we're just coming out of that rest phase, so the the hectic nature of real life will begin uh, imminently. It's kind of rearing its ugly head, I imagine. So, so just a little background for for the listeners. So Nick spent uh, over the last few years, he spent two years running a marathon in every country around the world. So that's 196 marathons, 100 marathons in so many days running from North to South Italy. This one, I can't believe 2,500 laps of your Mercedes Sprinter van. (laughs) He's also completed the infamous Marathon de Sable and has explored the Arctic Circle, the Caribbean. And more recently, which is something I'm really intrigued by, Nick successfully ran the, Brit- the Run Britain Challenge, which is 200 marathons in 100 days around the British coast. So that's quite a cool running CV, quite a big running CV. <laughs> Let's start with the Mercedes Sprinter van. My first question there is, how did you keep count? <laughs> that's a very good question. Um, well, I, I calculated before. And then I thought, well, maybe let's do a few more to, you know, maybe it's going to work out. And then I went through Strava afterwards, after I'd finished the, the distance on my watch, and it happened to be exactly what I was expecting. So I don't think that was ever going to happen to me ever again, when my watch <laughs> and my expectations match up. But uh, yeah, that was, I have to say, we did it in, we did it in Newquay, right down by the beach, beautiful day, empty car park. I mean, Cornish car parks are never empty, but because it was through lockdown, it was, it was a real honour to do it, particularly there, because I've, I've known that place my whole life. And um it was it was lovely to have you know random people come up you know either cycle past walk their dog past me and and very clearly see that um, I was doing a challenge we had cameras and bits set up um, but it was is actually probably one of the easiest things I've ever done and I'm, I'm not saying that flippantly it running around the van I was I had all the support I needed right there that wasn't moving it was yeah. much easier than having the support van moving and trying to find me and not getting lost um I just had my audio books in chatted to a few people did some admin and, and got on with it it was my normal my normal running really just just a normal day with the van <laughs> yeah so you mentioned there about you know you you've got a lot of uh, a lot of your heart is in Cornwall and I noticed from your um socials that you're you know surfing plays quite a big big role in your kind of um mindfulness have you always been into sort of running an adventure? Um, 
I have always been into uh, getting out of my comfort zone and trying to push myself uh, further. And I think sport has been that outlet for most of my life. Um, uh, skiing was my initial uh, go-to, I suppose, when I was very young. First on skis at 16 months old. My parents wow. loved skiing. I then raced a lot, skied trained a lot then I was instructing for a while um lived out there for a bit and then uh skied for the the, the under 19 snow sport England uh team and then GB uh and then got a real job and sport took a back step and so I guess you talk about you know wellness and mindfulness and, and sport uh that was getting me through and then obviously when you ditch it for real life and earning and work you then realize you need to capture that again and that's ultimately how I found running um running was an easier outlet no snow required um and get out on a lunchtime and then that evolved to running hundreds of marathons and you know i'm now nearly at a thousand so uh yeah i guess i guess wellness and, and running is now my life so how did that evolution kind of take place from you know a, a, a lunchtime run stick your trainers on quickly go around around the park for a run turn mm-hmm. into okay i'm gonna challenge myself to to essentially run around Britain you know in a a hundred days it's quite it's quite yes it's running like you but both both activities are running but there's a whole load of sort of transition between your sort of your lunchtime runner Mm. through to your ultra endurance athlete what did that look like for you well the transition was I suppose with any transitions in any walk of life it's it's never um plan a you know you you go from step to step it's always kind of a bit of a a, a mismatch of everything but I I ran to keep fit I ran for my mind I then went to the gym a bit and you know I was cycling a little bit and then running just was my natural peace moment it was always the moment that I could have for myself uh and so I was always finding myself running for longer because I needed more peace as <laughs> work was getting more stressful and so I was I got into that fairly easily in a sense that I would run and run and run and then I'd realize I was running decent distances you know enter a 10k enter a half marathon enter a marathon enter another marathon oh I'll do 100k do 100k then do 100 miles then do 24 hours and then set my own challenges and before long I had a few brands and sponsors kind of knocking on my door saying do you want to come and run this event for us uh and i uh, for free and i was like yeah and then the answer is well i can't because i've got to go to work and so ultimately those few years of transitioning into sport it was a case of saying goodbye to work because i had these amazing opportunities you know i had a brand call me and say do you want to go and run around the caribbean and and i had to say no initially because i was working unfortunately they gave me the opportunity later like two years later uh, to do the similar thing when i actually was released from the cages of the office uh, but uh yeah that's that's roughly the transition and i think anybody getting into anything it's not straightforward it's not a you wake up one day and you go i'm going to become a, a runner you just it just happens and i think it was it was always it was always because I just love sport. I was, you know, born in the countryside. I had to cycle or run ten miles each way to school and back to see friends. It was in my blood, I guess. I was just naturally doing it without thinking about it. So that gave me a big leg up, um, and then I just enjoyed it. So then, so the, the, obviously, running means a fair bit to you in terms of personally. You know, you know, going from that kind of lunchtime running to what what you do now, with all these challenges that you've done. You know, the the running a marathon in every country around the world. 
the mm. 100, 100 marathons running from north to south Italy, etc., and the run run Britain. Mm. Have you got a specific reason why you wanted to do these and turn them into these big sort of epic challenges? What's your kind of core core reason yeah. why? Yeah, um, I am a big believer, and it's something that I'm just gearing up to go back to my speaking tour, which was which the uh, the big pause button was hit for all of us when COVID hit, and my my speaking tour was included in that, and part of this tour it's two and a half hours in theatres um more or less every evening in different places around the country and in, in Europe and I'm I'm talking about what I do where I've come from but also my philosophy and exactly as you've asked me kind of why they're happening and and my my beliefs um and it it ultimately stems on the fact that I think we are all so unfathomably privileged and fortunate and lucky and all of those other words that mean the same thing that we're we, we just don't realize it we very few of us live with intent i think we wake up every day and do our things we make our to-do lists we cross some of them off we forget the others we put the others off for the next day but many times even those to-do lists even if we're active with that sort of stuff and we try to put ourselves first we are by society's nature kind of boxed into well you know we don't have things on the list that are I'd love to go skydiving at the weekend or I'd like to go and learn to sail or I'd like to be a, a potter or I'd like to be a singer we don't put our passions at the forefront of what we do we put income and supporting our families and and if you can try and find a bit of a balance with that and if you can go to bed in the evening appreciating what you've got given to you as a as a westerner as a developed country um, native we are so incredibly lucky that so many people don't have those opportunities and I state I take it a step further to say that it's not just an opportunity and a freedom to do this stuff it's almost a responsibility because there's so many other people out there that can't and so it's about living with intent and putting passion uh, of what you enjoy even if that's just just play monopoly with your kids more or hug your children more or polish your car if that's your thing <laughs> you know it doesn't matter what it is but if you enjoy it and it's your passion then do that at the top of the list it's you know paying the paying the mortgages you need to do that but maybe you don't need a bigger tv maybe you don't need to sit and watch that episode of something that you know millions of other people are going to watch around the world nothing wrong with it and i enjoy it but my passions are always at the top level they're they're taking the they're taking the stand and it's about having that sense of perspective around the world and then of course i went off and, and did this you know journey 674 days around the world running a marathon in every country running three marathons in three different countries every week and it changed my perspective and compounded what i was what i was already thinking that we are just so lucky and so ultimately i'm now a completely different person because there is no of that other stuff that you know i don't like to particularly sit down i don't have a tv we live in a van we don't have a conventional lifestyle and it's all because i'm i just feel like i'm i'm one of the luckiest people alive and i think if more people understood that they'd probably live a little bit more differently absolutely i mean so that that those 196 marathons can you give us um a sort of a a, a contrast of mm. like a real a real high point slash location yeah versus a real I don't want to call it a low point, but versus a, a massive <laughs> like eye opener for you as an individual throughout that six hundred and however many was days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, we're, we've already yeah. needed about three weeks to go through. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that, I mean, the high points you, you're talking about running with 
thousands of people in different countries with different languages, different races, different religions, different beliefs, different habits, different perspectives on the world. You know, there's people that I ran with in Nigeria, for example, who had never seen snow. Uh, and I'm not talking about seeing it in real life. I'm talking about seeing pictures of it. And when you think about that, you exactly, it's an, a kind of a, okay, that's, uh, yeah, yeah. that's, that's interesting. And then you, you sit on a plane and you sit next to somebody for the first time that's never been on a plane and they're in their 60s. And then you speak to them and you find out that they've never left their country before. And then you Google, okay, how many people have left their own country? And it's less than 1% of the planet. And then you Google how many people have done a marathon and you've got a tiny percentage there again and you multiply all of that up and I'm just living in this mad bubble of just doing all of these ridiculous things ultimately because I've decided to do them and made them happen um uh, it if anybody's listening and thinking it was an easy journey to make that happen it was not um even just to get to the start line and so you've got all of those amazing moments you know running around erupting volcanoes making friends everywhere running with presidents uh this just ridiculous trip and then the other end of the spectrum is getting mugs at knife point at gunpoint being used as a uh, effectively a drug mule over the yemen border um i was shot at i was attacked by dogs i had a minor heart attack uh, i had food poisoning 22 times i was running in like 59 degrees in kuwait at one point and it's like this extra bit of suffering and this hardship and these kind of misadventures, if you like, that just compound the story and make everything even more like this was so cool. And it just changed me forever because I have those I have those opportunities. And at every point, whenever it was getting tough, it's so easy just to say, well, I'm, I'm one of the luckiest people we still have. And again, I'm talking I don't want to talk about COVID because we've, we've had enough of that, I suppose. But if, if a lot of people say to me, oh, weren't you lucky to to do uh, to do that journey before COVID hit, because I finished uh, about a week before that incident happened in Wuhan, and then everything started to spread around the world. So it's super, super close. And I said, yes, I was incredibly lucky because I couldn't go off and do it now because of all the restrictions and uh, especially what's happened in Afghanistan since I was there and all that sort of stuff. And then you realise that we have a lot of people that are affected by COVID, especially uh, uh, Westerners, but also there's enough people out there. So there's, there's 2 million uh, children under the age of five around the world that die of starvation every year. 2 million children every year under the age of five die of starvation. And we have the antidote for that. We have the, the vaccine, which is food, and it's in our fridges and it's stuff that we put in the bin every day. And so as soon as you've got all these extra bits of perspective, and I say that because it's not just this easy formula of of, uh, of the highs and the lows it's 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 what it creates in you um and i'm very very fortunate to have had them so the highs are still in me and i still feel them and are passionate about them as you can probably tell yeah it's really interesting i talk about the reasons why um quite a lot on this podcast and i think when you think about the highs of a challenge when you're doing whatever the challenge may be the highs are always great memories and the, you know you will they will stay with you forever but the things that really tap into your reason why act as this kind of rocket fuel. And mm. when, as soon as they get tapped into there, it kind of just makes you really believe in what you're doing and perform better or complete better or whatever it is. But the reasons why I think are so important. And thanks for sharing that. It was really, really, really eloquent. Um, something that I get relatively often from people, and I, I imagine you might get it as well, is, is people probably have this perception that, you know, with all the things that you've achieved, all the things that you've done, 
you know, GB ski team, etc. You're quite a successful character. There is a page on your website that talks about an, a challenge that you tried to do that ended up in, you know, in perceived failure, essentially, which is the Malin mm. to Mizen challenge. Mm. And I, want, I wanted to bring this up because it's really important, I think, you know, to talk about perceived failure and what it can actually mean for you. And as an mm. inspiration, as an example to, to other people who might be listening that have tried to do something and not succeeded. Tell us a little bit more about that world record, record attempt and, and what it kind of means yeah. for you, you know, now looking back yeah yeah it's, it's i'm glad you mentioned it because it's something that i don't often talk about on podcasts but it's something i actually talk about quite a lot when i visit schools because we talk about courage um and and the concept of time and like we were talking about living with intent but i'd also talk about failure because i think a lot of the reason why we don't attempt to follow our dreams is because we are fear we are in fear of failing um and it's not just the Malintimism incident, if we if we can call it an incident in, in Ireland, my attempt there. Um, but even, you know, I was incredibly shy when I was younger. I, I also couldn't walk very well as a as a kid. Um, and I, and I, when I say shy, I'm not just flippantly saying I was a bit shy. I was cripplingly shy to the point that I wouldn't even speak to people my own age. Um, and ultimately, that is the same kind of feeling when you you fail because you're closed off to the world you're closed off to what you've happened and you talk about perceived failure I make it very clear in myself if I set out to 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 have a goal if I don't make that then it's failure and I know that that's okay and I don't you know I don't kind of skirt around the outside and say oh well I kind of failed it's you know I failed but that's fine failing's cool you know if, if you think about um what's his name the famous quote with uh uh Dyson what's the what's the name who made all the hoovers I remember uh, uh, James oh, Dyson. James yeah, Dyson. That's the one. James James Dyson. Yeah, he famously said that he you know he created five thousand prototypes before he actually released a, a Hoover to market because they weren't good enough. He you know he effectively made a Hoover that didn't work five thousand times, and it worked. And and you can see it. You know Michael Jordan, all those famous quotes out there that exist. And malintimism was one of many incidents that led me to being able to succeed in other areas so the journey from Malintimism the record at the time was held by a brilliant woman who I now know um, called Mimi Anderson who ran north to south of uh, of Ireland um, and that the record basically I was trying to run about 115 miles a day every day north to south of Ireland um, and halfway through or not even halfway through I was about 120 miles in um, and I think I was 120 miles in. It's a very long time ago now, but it was torrential rain for the 30, 35 hours I was running for. And I, I actually got pneumonia, um, something that I, all the things I thought would go wrong. I didn't think of pneumonia. Um, and I lost, you know, I was really struggling. Um, I mean, if you, I suppose the easiest way to sum it up is it, it was almost COVID symptoms, um, but years before COVID existed, yeah, it was, yeah, I was yeah. just really struggling to breathe. Um, and uh, and there was no way of continuing. And I remember I've got this picture of me sat on the side of the road with my head in my hands crying. And I'd worked hard to do that. I'd done hundreds of marathons before. I'd done loads of other running challenges. And I really thought that this was in my reach. Um, very difficult challenge, but possible. You know, at, at all cases, I'd finish it uh, and maybe not get the record, but I'd finish I'd finish the journey. And I actually couldn't because I because of my 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 issues with my breathing. Um, and that really hit me. It was like a, it really knocked me. And I don't think I've, um, I had a moment before. I suppose things like not making the, you know, not making the Olympic ski team, not making things like that. 
but that was different it was a long process this was one incident in a particularly sleep deprived moment but I learned a lot from it I learned to definitely expect the unexpected in everything I do I learned that I needed to bolster all of the things that I didn't think I needed to train breathing being one of them and and generally being a little bit aware of the elements um, much more aware because ultimately it was the rain and the cold that that impacted me um, and I realized it doesn't matter that was the biggest learning out of the whole thing it was just gonna get straight back up again and go out and do something else or go back to it um, and we've actually got a plan to go and uh, to go and do that at some point in the future um, and do it even even quicker than I was planning to do before and I believe I can but the same thing could happen again it could be something yeah. completely different um, uh, and that's fine um, and, and and talking about failure if you like with with run Britain my goal was to run around Britain but the idea was to do it in 100 days and during run Britain I had some pretty horrendous and catastrophic injuries that led me to not finish in 100 days we finished in 128 days and that was in a sense you didn't meet the you know you didn't do 200 marathons in 100 days but my overall objective was to run around britain and i knew when as i went into that that i was likely going to suffer with injuries and what will be will be so from ireland everything had changed from that and i i could still see yeah i just learned that things that things happen without you realizing i think um Oh, there's a lot of that that resonates with me personally. I think, you know, particularly the older I've got, so I'm what nearly 40 now. I think I'm much less fearful of failure than I ever have been. And I think, I think you said it just now. It really doesn't matter, mm. you know. And with some of the challenges I've done more recently, I've always kind of made peace with the fact that I could fail, and that's okay. Mm. Whereas five, six, seven years ago, like failure is not an option at all costs. And if you fail, it's you know, it's awful, catastrophic. <laughs> It's almost part of it's not it's, it's almost not a sidestep or a setback. It's almost just part of the journey. And as soon as you start yeah. to see it like that, then you're good. If you go about, you know, I don't know, using pottery as an example or painting, for example, you're always going to have those days where you try and make something and you have to throw it in the bin or you. And that's fine. You know, you know yeah. just because it might be not as big or mentally or physically exhausting, um, it's still, you know, a setback and you then carry on. So I'm I'm completely at one with with failure and happy about it yeah so we're, we're looking at sort of ultra endurance running and, and one of the themes of this podcast is also um well-being as a kind of and well-being is a huge topic we we're kind of i think we're going to talk about physical well-being with with yourself today and i guess with the with the distances that you run and what you talked about at the beginning about what running means to you What's your take? Because, you know, playing devil's advocate, someone could sit here and say, well, actually, the distances that you're running and the challenges you're doing are not really good for your long term well-being. But equally, mm -hmm. they also bring you so much sort of value and so much positivity to you personally, but also to a much, much, much wider community, a global community. So where's your where do you sit on that line of kind of what you do for yourself and what you do for you know your foundation and your challenges and what that means for you in terms of your kind of your overall well-being yeah so well i guess like you said you've got the other you've got the two sides you've got the physical and and the mental well-being for the physical side i'm i'm i suppose i'm a little bit blasé if i'm honest with my physical well-being because naturally what i do you are going to suffer and you need to suffer and learn to suffer well and <laughs> 
that's that's part of the job and so you're almost kind of resigned to the fact that your physical well-being is going to take a dip and it does you know run britain started off at 11 percent body fat got down to 2.8 i lost weight every single day i was dangerously dangerously thin and, and I, i've got this horrendous photo of me afterwards i look like a prisoner of war it was just ridiculous um and that's that's you know, and people always obviously bring up the the knee word of oh, what what about your knees? Um, yeah. And I I brush that off every time because I would I would every day of the week I would say right well if I can't walk by the time I'm sixty at least I have done all of these challenges and I've followed my dream. It's given me mental well being as well through the physical suffering. Um, it I take it every day. And also there's articles in New Scientist lately actually that you, you're talking about having replacement knee and this is, these are happening replacement knee surgery without a general anesthetic through keyhole surgery can you believe it it's absurd and so by the time hopefully i need new knees which is a is a possibility maybe not a probability but a possibility i could probably get them from the shop or order them on amazon and that is not a flippant comment either that's not exaggerating and yeah. so i figure if it's a joint that you can replace and as long as i'm not doing any harm or damage and this goes back full circle to the, what we we're talking about at the beginning of how lucky we are you know i can just flippantly go oh, i'll just get new knees and it <laughs> is a reality um and i'll so, be there with you yeah, yeah exactly. I'm sure we both need new knees <laughs> get in the back of the queue i'm afraid um uh, the uh yeah and so my physical well-being i'm you know, when you get niggles with your hips, with your neck, with your spine, um, at the end of Run Britain, I felt like I was running on the upside down of my hands, you know, because I had so little fat, fat um, what do you call it, pads in your, in your feet. It was just absolute agony, just bone on concrete. Yeah. Um, and so that was tough. Obviously, I have, a, I have a hereditary heart problem anyway, and obviously previous issues with my heart. That's, that's a problem. But every time I just think... All of these opportunities I have, I can't let that stop me. It's not even a, not even a thought. Um, and so just just plow on. And coming back to the, the mental well-being side is all of that, everything that I do, everything that I've done since leaving a normal job. And even before that, I suppose, when I was skiing at, you know, two years old, uh, is all mental well-being, outdoors, being outside more. Um, there's a fact that, that I talk about a lot, which is that, um, the average British person spends 90% of their life indoors, 90%, which we're indoors now, we're probably going to sleep indoors, we're going to eat indoors. If you think about all of that time adding up, even if we're outgoing, outside, outdoorsy people, we still spend a lot of time indoors. And so just taking that one step further and being able to use running as an outlet to get outside and, and explore nature just like we did with run britain you know we saw minke whales we saw dolphins we saw 150 species of different birds i learned about all of the the trees and the bushes that were i was running past i learned so much just from being outside and and of course the occasional audio book to give me a bit of context um and so i will take the physical well-being hit every time yeah okay it sounds like you really interacted with your environment through the Run Britain Challenge. You know, I, I did. It's like taking it all in and learning and being present, which is all the good kind of things that we really want to talk about with well-being and, you know, yeah. being in, engaged in what you're doing. You know, personally, I, I, I can't listen to anything when I run apart from what's around me because um, okay. it just it detracts from the experience. Um, oh, that's interesting. So, yeah, well. I had, and I just finished writing it actually, because we we're doing another book um, called Run Britain, which will, you know, obviously is about the whole journey. And I'm, I'm writing a piece about 
my my peaceful moments and they are always the, the morning the mornings were mine just pre-dawn yeah. just as the sun's coming up the birds are not quite awake yet and then you have this beautiful transition where you start to have the the cars commuting you start to have busier and you've got a you know, lighter lighter environment that you're running through and then that's the moment that I then reach for the ear pods and put them in and I listen to my books and I learn I'm you know, I'm running for 12 hours every day um, you know, it was something like 15, 1700 hours or something over the 128 days. So it was outrageous. I couldn't get by without some form of audio, not so much music, but spoken word and educating myself a bit on, on what I was running past and stuff. And the history of Britain, that was also fascinating. Everything from Vikings to the Tudors to just the whole work. So um, it was I was very much in the moment, but I have to be. Otherwise, you go a little bit mad when you're doing 12 hours a day. Oh, definitely. I mean, the the classic question, I guess, that leads on is: Did you you must have experienced the the obvious highs and the and the obvious lows that go with something with an ultra challenge like this? Both kind of through, you know, on a daily basis, quite probably, but also through the challenge itself. Mm, yes, uh, we've actually got. So I'm writing the book with a, a friend of mine, Andy, who was, uh, well, who is the the right hand man on my my missions, if you like, and was was. You know, driving the van for me, cooking my food, washing my clothes, putting me to bed, waking me up in the morning. Um, <laughs> I, I lived and breathed with him every day. And it's actually very special to spend so much time with a friend and have them, you know, be your life support. Um, so Andy and I are writing this book together. Um, and we have this diagram that we've made that illustrates the peaks and the troughs of the journey. And as you said, they can be the the kind of the macro scale of the journey of you, you. We have this horrendous injury on day six. We then got through it. We had another injury on day 33. We then got settled into our rhythm. Um, and then three or four more injuries later, we managed to get to the end. And in each of those individual days or individual hours, you have the microcosm of the same thing, of the same pain, of the same struggling, of the same emotional woes. I had three and a half, nearly a month, three and a half weeks to a month of physically crying every day out of pain not just you know oh worries me I'm miserable I want my mummy it's I am crying because I'm in pain and I did that for nearly a month straight every day and and I was probably laughing and you know being elated other other moments in the day it is an absolute roller coaster when you're sleep deprived when you're in a huge calorie deficit and when you know that you're not going to get out of that for another three or four months um it's pretty brutal <laughs> I mean, I've done some silly challenges, but nothing quite quite like that. I could, but I can I can imagine, you know, from the ups and downs that I've had on on various challenges to to what you must must have gone through. Like, what's you know, one of your worst, Ali? What highs and lows? Yeah, I remember doing like racing Ironman, for example. Through the mm. day, you have I used to have these awesome highs of, mm. and this actually loops back into the, to failure actually. So my mm. my last Ironman in two, 2015, the whole eight month process building up to it. I can't hand on heart hearts. I can't say I, I enjoyed it because I heaped so much pressure on myself yeah. being, a, being a triathlon coach, you know, coaching athletes to do the same race that I was doing, you know, mm. uh, in my head, everyone's going to be watching me. Everyone's going to expect me to go really fast. Everyone's going to like the X, Y, and Z. And through yeah. the whole, the whole day, you know, or the month leading up to it, pressure, pressure, pressure through the day, you know, I had some amazing highs of mm. this. Is, look at this. I'm in the mountains in, in, um, in Zurich how yeah. beautiful is this what a great place to come and race look at all these cool people around etc cetera, etc cetera. but then you know I was asking myself some really tough questions through that day like who am I what what are you doing <laughs> what 
you know, there was one point I was crying into my goggles, like, <laughs> in, into the swim because of all this pressure. And, and it, I, I really struggled for a couple of months after that event to, to kind of mm. physically, I got over it re- reasonably quickly. Mentally, I struggled in, a, in, a, in quite a big way to, to get over that because yeah. I, the questions I was asking myself were often quite dark, sort of hard questions. And if, yeah, you ref- yeah. if I reflect back now and thinking, you know, I chose financed, uh, you know, paid to do that event. How did I ever get to a point where it turned into this kind of like almost like a self therapy session? Yeah. So I mean, that was the, that was that was the most one of the kind of the biggest highs and lowest lows in in a big challenge I've had. More recently, when I did the I uh, did a Snowden Six Ways challenge, which was a yeah. six, six ways up and down Snowden. Hand on heart, I enjoyed every single step because I completely understood my reasons why. I had the best crew of people around me. Um, it was for a, an unbelievably good cause, and it was just a brilliant thing. And I, I'd accepted failure should it happen. It didn't happen. At no point did I have any pain. At no point did I have any suffering. I didn't need for any more energy. It was just like it was brilliant. One of the best things I've ever done. I just think if I could have ever, you know, put that into the other some of the other things I've done they'd all be brilliant experiences but then yeah. you don't learn you don't learn from them you know you yeah. ev- everything's a learning experience right yeah and, and a lot of a lot of uh people have you know asked me questions about how do you live not just with running specifically but how do you live such a, a kind of an up and down lifestyle you know you're in one place you do a massive trip you're then out at the end of it you're then on a on a, on a speaking tour you're then doing this you're doing that and ultimately it's the the argument of is it good to stay relatively level, whether it's mental health, whether it's financial uh, freedom, your bank balance, whatever it is, or is it better to go up and down and have those peaks and troughs? And my experience is have the peaks and troughs, because yeah. if, you, if you're in the middle, you've never experienced the peaks. You know, if, if I take those troughs, if 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 you can have those peaks as well, and that's that's kind of common cause variation, isn't it? You can't. <laughs> it's going to level out. It's like the comfort, the comfort zone, isn't it? That that middle, that middle balance yeah. is where where everything's safe, everything's predictable, everything's great, everything's good. Nothing and then when you goes. go, yeah, when you go up out of it, it's epically brilliant. And when you come down below it, it's hard, but you learn and you, and you always bounce back. Yeah, and I take that every time. I'd much rather that than be in the be in the middle. That's for sure. Hundred percent. So we're going to move move the conversation on a bit it's um there's another uh, sort of aspect to to you and and why you do these things which is the 196 foundation so i'd like to just sort of hand over to you a little bit just to talk to to me and the listeners about what what the mission is of the 196 foundation and how people can kind of can help and 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 kind of get behind it thanks ellie yes so i'm i'm really really proud of this thing it's probably the proudest i am of any of the things that i've done and it's not a it's not a running thing <laughs> um <laughs> running related and we can we can gain some traction through running but i created this foundation after um coming back from running the world so the the significance of 196 as you said earlier is that's the number of countries that there are in the world and i was i witnessed a lot of poverty and a lot of poverty really shook me and uh I knew I was lucky. We've talked about that, but I had no idea how many people out there could just do with a leg up. And I'm not talking, um, you know, they need a well drilled in their country or they need a school built. They just need a leg up. Um, just something. I, I, I met a guy who um, he couldn't afford to get a lift to see his uh, partner 
in hospital who was about to give birth. He was a double amputee living in Sierra Leone, didn't have any money, didn't have any job. And his partner who was about to give birth, he didn't even know where she was. She knew that she was in a, in a city and there was two or three hospitals that she could be in and she might be there, but she he couldn't get there, didn't have any phone to call. And just little things like that, that is just life changing, being able to connect those two people again. And it's not, a, you know, if we just even take that for granted, you know, oh, yeah, I can just track you down. I just ran around my whole home country and somebody can't even get around the corner to, to watch the birth of their child. So little things like that. I also witnessed a, a, again in Sierra Leone in Freetown in a children's hospital whereby a, um, a lovely lady, she was in hospital with her two children. They were um, they were dying and we couldn't work out what was wrong with them, couldn't afford to work out what was wrong with them, importantly. Um, and she then, we, we were doing this interview because we were filming for the documentary and uh, a friend of mine, Jen, who was a volunteer uh, doctor out there, kind of translated this to me. And we ascertained that she had nine children and seven of those nine children had already died. And every time she couldn't afford to work out what was wrong with them. And every time, most likely it was malaria. And we all know malaria is a big killer. But if you're Western, it's like a six pence tablet or something along those lines. And you're good. And that's the horrendous reality of these kids. But anyway, that was hard. Lots of crying, lots of working out what was what was in this woman's world. And there's all sorts of other things around. We have time to talk about it now. But little things like the 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 man, the husband, although they're not technically married, the husband in the situation was no longer on the scene because in Sierra Leone they have this belief that if a child dies, the woman is bewitched or cursed, and so the man leave. And so she's on her own, fending for these two kids. Didn't have any idea what to do. In absolute hysterics, didn't want to lose her last two remaining children. Um, and we, I said to Jen, what can we do to help? You know. If in, in reality, in the best case scenario, if we got medicine, if we got food for them, if we worked out what was wrong, fixed them up, got them into school, that kind of thing. How much would it cost in Sierra Leone for each of these children just to have the very basics of normal life that we know? And I'm just talking in very, very basic terms. And it was 80 pounds per child for the two years. 80 pounds per child in Sierra Leone could give these kids a life-changing difference. Um, and it was just ridiculous. I put it out on social media. We had loads, thousands and thousands of people come in and want to help. And I thought, well, let's create an outlet for that help. Um, and I didn't want to create a charity that was just another charity helping one particular cause because there's a lot of them. And most of them are wasting money because, uh, well, for various reasons. Um, and so we set up the 196 Foundation um, and it took me three years to get it going because it, uh, anybody that's tried to start a charity, you've got to go through hoops and you need to make sure that you go down the right avenue. Otherwise, it blocks off certain options late down the line. Um, and so we eventually got there with a lot of help. Um, I owe a lot of it to a, a shout out to a guy called Nick Kershaw, who runs the Impact Marathon series. If you've not had him on, Ali, you should have him on the podcast. Brilliant guy. Yeah. Um, really, really great guy. Um, sure. I'll get him on. I met I met him in uh, in Guatemala as it happens in running the world um, he was doing a race out there or organizing a race out there um, and he's now the chair of the charity and managed to guide me through this process of setting up the charity so in a nutshell the 196 foundation uh, we are asking for donations of one pound and 96 pence per month no more no less you can't donate more and the reason being is that we'd rather 
you become a donor, sign up to your monthly don donation and then get somebody else on board as well. And that's how we can spread because I want it to be a tiny amount of money. I want it to be something that when you go through your bank statement, trying to save some money at Christmas time, as most people do, or birthdays or anniversaries or things, you, oh, I need to save some money. I want it to be the thing that remains on that direct debit list because it's so small. So in £1.96, um, under £24 for the whole year. And what that money does is it goes into a central pot, just like a piggy bank. And then every year we, we break that piggy bank open and we use that money to fund one project. And the thing that I'm most happy about and most proud of with the whole thing is that it is, we've coined this phrase, a democratic donorship, whereby all of the donors vote on who we help. So every year we present three options um, based on how much we can afford to do and, and other applications that have come in for, for support. And then we ask the donors to vote on who we help. So every month you donate, you get one vote. So you can get a maximum of 12 votes per year. Per year. Um, and the other thing to say is that all of the projects will be delivered in an incredibly cost-saving uh, way. So I'm something else that is very difficult to talk about in, uh, without talking for weeks about it. But rather than spending, so let's say we had a few options. Anything It could be anything from buying a wheelchair for somebody that's disabled that lives next door to you, for example, you could, you know, say, can you help this person? It could be building a school in Kenya. It could be drilling a well. It could be a disabled boxing gym in Hackney. It could be anything and everything anywhere in the world, in Britain, halfway across the world, whatever. And we put the options forward. If it gets voted on, we then deliver that and we deliver it without spending the money in a bad way. So if, if it's, if it's the wheelchair, for example, and it costs 3000 pounds, we're not just going to go and find a company and, buy a £3,000 wheelchair, we will spend weeks and months negotiating with the wheelchair providers uh, to try and get a discount, to try and have a two-for-one deal. We will barter and barter and barter so the money is not wasted and all of the pounds are spent well because I am, frankly, really fed up with lots of charities wasting money. And this way, there is no waste. If we have to build a school, we're not going to pay builders. We're going to re re rely on um, Western volunteers to go and help. And it will just be the, you know, the sheer materials that will, will, will be the cost. If we have to fly out to somewhere, we're not going to use the money for flights. That's all volunteers. If you want to come and help, Ali, you buy your own ticket and you come and help. There's no money yeah, that yeah, yeah. will be wasted. And so that, I'm really big on that. Um, and the final thing to say is that it can grow so quickly if people can donate. £1.96 a month, become a donor, tell somebody else at the pub you've done your duty, tell them to sign up and tell somebody else. And before long, we'll have this whole big pot that we can do some serious, serious good with. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely going to get signed up as the minute we finish this pod. I've just written it down. I'm going to get signed up. And any listeners out there, get, get involved with the 196 Foundation. I really like the concept of, um, you know, it being the donors get to select what they feel their money should be put towards each year. I think that's a really yeah. cool concept. And there's uh, no, I'll, I'll follow that up, sorry, Ali, but just by saying, just if it's not clear, there is no payment to staff. We are all volunteers. There is no profit. Yeah. The charities run, we run it for about a thousand pounds a year because there's so few costs. Um, and I pay that money out of my own pocket or we have a third party that does it. There is no money that comes from the donors that goes to any, yeah. any waste at all. Okay, that's brilliant. I really like it. I think, um, yeah, hopefully some of the listeners will, you know, will follow the lead and, and get donating as well. Um, exactly. I think that the, what I'd like to kind of um, start to wrap up on is, is an element of your lifestyle, which I'm sort of intrigued about slash jealous of. 
um, which is the van van life. Now, me and my wife, we've I used to have a T5, a VW T5, and we okay. had this big big plan to convert it into a camper, which ended up just being a mattress in the back. Um, <laughs> we we drove down to France and Switzerland a few times in it, and this was when it was just her and I. We loved it. Yeah. And then um, we also did a trip to Scotland in a mm-hmm. in a van with the dog. Got bitten, got eaten alive by the midges. Yeah. And I think I so I've got this kind of like window of a couple of nights, a few nights, and enjoying it. But then I do sort of like the creature comforts of home. Whereas you and your your wife and dog have just decided to to van it full time. And <laughs> uh, what I mean, how long have you been, how long have you been living out of the van? So we moved we moved into the van. Um, I think it was about nine days, no, eight days after coming back from running the world. So two and a bit years, two and a half years, something like that. Yeah. Um, and we've loved every minute of it it has and i say that with it's complete truth we have loved every minute of it we argue we we're in a box together we have to find parking we have to find fuel um but our problems are are, are very slim and <laughs> i think it's you know you talk about the i think everybody assumes that van life is this minimal living um I've seen minimal living. I've seen you know, five-year-olds wandering around with an empty plastic bottle, and that is everything they have in the world. So when you talk about minimal living, I have an iPad, a laptop, we've got a fridge, we've got a freezer, we've got a cooker. We've got stuff. It's not that minimal, and yet it's much more minimal than than many people have. We don't need you know, walls necessarily. So, yeah, we have this Mercedes Sprinter van. My brother, um, I was actually out with my brother in Kazakhstan. He came out to run with me or support me there um and uh i got chatting to him saying well when i finish we're going to go around and tell the story about what i've done and i've always wanted to live in a van do you reckon you can find me a van and convert it for me and uh it was a big ask we managed to find a little bit of you know, time to plan what it could look like and i've you know we've had camper vans and vans all our lives and my brother loves them he's done one himself or now he's done two or three um and uh and he said, no, no, he was a bit, you know, he was, a, he works intensely. He works in, in as a nurse in A&E and, uh, and, but he's very good at building things. He gets that from my dad and my granddad. And, uh, and he said, ultimately, begrudgingly, yes. And he, he went out and sourced a van for us um, for a few thousand pounds, very cheap, um, good mileage, and then converted it. And he finished it virtually the day I finished the trip. And we came back and moved into this van. And uh, so I had the luxuries of, of having uh you know a, almost a new build it was luxury <laughs> it was it was luxury and we've and we've been in it ever since so yeah we've we've not had the i suppose the obstacles that you've had where you get it and then don't have the time to do anything i was multitasking do you have the do you make use of the freedom to sort of to to travel around you know you take your home where mm. you want to go or do you have a place that's kind of naturally your kind of base where you tend to sort of hang out most of the year I think we we thought that we would have a base and, and our base, I suppose, is Newquay, uh, Cornwall. But when well, we have some brilliant friends there and they're always moaning at us because we're not actually there. You know, we've done four months around um, Britain. We were in, well, at the beginning of the year, we had three months in the Alps skiing and being in the snow. We then had four months running around Britain. And I'm now just about to go on a speaking tour for three or four months. So the answer is yes we want to have a little place that we go to but but busyness and life and all the good things we've talked about gets in the way in a good way so uh, yes and no nice nice well I'd, would I ever give up what I've got now to live in a van I can't say I would at the moment with three, <laughs> with three kids under five I think it would, it would be absolutely need a bust 
<laughs> Absolutely. So we're we're looking towards um, towards the future, Nick. What's what's next? You know, you've got your speaking tour. Have you got any other upcoming challenges? Um, yeah. So I'll say if anybody wants to come along and hear me waffle on for a few hours about various different things, we've got a little preview of the, the documentary that's coming out soon and uh, loads of bits to show on the speaking tour. So just get on the website and have a look at that. If you're listening to this, we'll go, we, we were planning to speak until the end of the year, um, but actually it's probably going to be more like until March now because we're just getting more and more dates in, which is brilliant. But um, as long as my voice sustains. So that's that. Um, and then I'm usually this is the point where I talk about all my big grand plans. However, the big grand plans that we've had were to run north to south of Malawi, to run north to south of New Zealand, to circumnavigate Iceland and to circumnavigate Bali. Now, those four things were supposed to have already happened, but because of COVID, <laughs> you haven't been able to do it. And so the answer is I will do all of those as soon as I can and as soon as it is not only feasible to do but is right to do I feel like we got away with run Britain because of the rules were there and it was okay but I don't feel right going to Malawi or New Zealand or places that have been particularly either hit badly or even if it's legally allowed I just think let's let let things lie for a moment um, and get on with the tour and wait for the world to open up more fully before we we attack those so so I'm looking forward to doing those we have a big mission that's planning that's going to happen in 2024 was supposed to be happening next year but um something i can't talk about it's going to be the biggest challenge i've ever done something that will ruin me and enlighten me and uh all of those kind of things so i'm very much looking forward to that um that's a year-long mission um from 2024 uh and in between i have this bit of a window where i'm consolidating and learning you talk about failures and things and you know i had two broken bones in run britain i had a flipped meniscus i had torn achilles i had a pulled hamstring these were things that would usually just set people back for months and i thought i am not going to do another challenge until i've fixed these things or at least attempted to get myself better so i'm going to work on my mobility i'm going to work on my strength i'm going to generally just try and be more of a a proper athlete as opposed to just having a lot of fun so i'm going to try and get a bit more serious with my with my training um, yeah. And that's that's next year. We've got a few exciting announcements with that because there's some cool challenges that we're working with a few brands on and stuff that I'm I'm really keen to get into doing stuff like CrossFit that I've never done before. You know, there was a video of me um, uh, that uh, I was lifting a bench pressing a twiglet recently, if you saw that video. And, and that was a struggle. So um, I am I'm definitely not in that CrossFit world. But if I can get stronger, then maybe that will help my running in the future. Definitely. Definitely. Well, there's there's so much to digest from the last sort of 40, 45 minutes. And um, I, I genuinely really appreciate you coming on and appreciate your openness and, and your humility and, and everything. And it's it's great to hear you talk about all the successes and, and and also the things that sort of really mean a lot to you. And I'm sure all our listeners will really um, take value from that and inspiration. And so, yeah, Nick, I'm going to wrap it up, but I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much for your time. Uh, best of luck with the speaking tour. Best of luck with the upcoming challenges. I'm really intrigued by this um, 2024 challenge, whatever that may look like. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I yeah, just wish you, all, yeah, wish you all the best with your recovery and everything as well after the Run Britain, because, you know, that was a, an epic, epic yeah. eff- effort. Still mentally decompressing. No, I'm, I'm really, really, <laughs> uh, re- really grateful for having you on, mate. And uh, we'll have to connect if you're, if you're a triathlete, that means you can swim. I'd like to get better at swimming. So maybe we can, I can pick your brains on that. Um, 100%. Yeah, I can help brilliant. you out on that. Brilliant. No. And thanks again, mate. And remember everyone listening that um, that 
that you give yeah Ali gives people an opportunity to hear my story and and without you folks then my story would be known less and uh, I would let be less likely to be able to continue these cool things so Ali thank you as well ah you're welcome you're welcome Nick well look thanks very much for tuning in everybody it means a lot and like I said at the beginning if you've listened to the pod and you've enjoyed it please don't hesitate to like it to share it and, and review it with your friends and family and we'll bring you some more awesome content in the next week or so take care everyone <laughs>